Isaac Weaver, and you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. I'm Aaron. And I'm Mike. And you're listening to the Monarchist Podcast. This evening, we have Stephen Igo. Stephen is the CEO and founder of Hoist the Colors, an ECU sports website he created in 2010 as a student, as a pirate undergrad. Stephen, welcome to the best and only ODU podcast. It's a pleasure to be on you guys. And I, I tell you what, man, that introduction, not many people go back to when I started HTC. So I appreciate that shout out. That's awesome. Well, thanks for joining us, Stephen. That shout out of your founding the company is, leads into our first question. So what drew you to start Voice to Colors? So I grew up in Greenville, North Carolina, in an East Carolina family. And, you know, I went to D.H. Conley High School, which is right up the road from East Carolina. And, you know, went to games growing up and, you know, talking to you guys before the show, kind of a similar situation in terms of you've got this passionate fan base, you know, and, and right, you know, in 2010, I was a freshman at ECU during that time. And going into that time, I was trying to figure out what I wanted to do. Had a passion for sports, didn't know how to really get into sports, but figured, hey, ECU needs an online presence for its fan base to interact. You know, there was other sites. There was a boneyardbanner.com, which was just a message board, no real, you know, content attached to the site other than fans getting up there and, and bitching and moaning. I, I'm allowed to say it on this podcast, right? <laughs> okay. And so, yeah, I mean, that's the thing is – it just internet coverage was blown up. There was not a real online site. They had a rival site, but it, in my opinion, was not up to the standard that ECU deserved. And so having followed my professional teams, the Denver Broncos and Seattle Mariners, which I could go down a rabbit hole explaining that, but you know, I just, I really enjoyed sports coverage and in-depth sports coverage that led me to start and hoist the colors. We were an independent site to begin with, had a bunch of ECU fans that were friends word of mouth spread. We built it for a year or two, got a, a decent amount of traction, and then eventually joined 24-7 Sports in 2012, right when they were starting up and, you know, dove into recruiting coverage, subscription coverage, along with still doing some free stuff. So that's basically why. I mean, just the void of, of coverage at that time, and, and in my opinion, ECU really needing it. Well, it's, it's great to see how it's flourished, especially as a rival uh, startup in kind of the same sphere. We're, we're happy to see you guys be so successful. We appreciate that. Yeah, it's, I mean, we've got over 1,200 subscribers now on Hoist Colors and, you know, thousands more free members. And it's just awesome, man. I get to cover my alma mater for a living. So I, I love what I do. Wouldn't trade it for the world. Yeah, it's pretty awesome. So back in 2020, the series was originally announced as a six game contract. I know Mike and I are ecstatic about this. We've wanted a, have a long-term series with ECU for a lot of different reasons. What's the ECU fan base's opinion of this series going out six games? I would say the the majority were happy with it. I mean, you've got the the, the vast min- or I, I guess the small minority that say, "Hey, you know, should we be playing Old Dominion, which just started its, its FBS program not too long ago, or got into the FBS not too long ago, home and home?" But then you have the other side where it's like. East Carolina is in this conference. They're in the American Athletic Conference. They don't play any regional games. I mean, the, the most regional game is in conference play. You know, they're they're 
their travel partner in baseball is Cincinnati, which kind of tells you all you need to know about the conference and, you know, geography. So in my opinion, I don't have a problem at all. And I don't think most ECU fans do with East Carolina having kind of a regional team that can build a rivalry with. And I think Old Dominion fits that bill. I think Appalachian State fits that bill too. I mean, there's no reason ECU shouldn't have one of those teams on the schedule every year, in my opinion. Marshall the same way. Like I see all those teams in that same vein. Same thing for ODU. Like they should have, you know, those teams. Obviously they're now in the conference with the Sun Belt. That makes more sense. But you know, why should you fly across country for a non-conference game? Or why should you take a bus, you know, more than uh, three, four hours outside of your, your region? It just doesn't make sense from a financial perspective more times than not. So I think this, the series makes a lot of sense for both teams. I think the fan base, you know, maybe when it was originally announced, wasn't as fired up about it overall. But then as you get further into it and see the potential with it and the in my opinion, just the, the common sense it makes, I think a lot of people will definitely like it. I think anytime that we can get drivable games for fans in schools that fans are passionate about, you know, people that we work with that are ECU grads or have kids that are going to ECU. I mean, our our particular season this year, we've got Virginia Tech, we've got UVA, we have JMU, and we have Liberty. We have four Virginia schools, which to me is, is super exciting. I know Mike and I were just talking about that Old Dominion has the opportunity to win the like the Virginia World Championship this year. But it doesn't get much more compelling than that for fans. And ECU, it's only two and a half hour drive away. It's basically the, the same sort of thing, same recruiting base for, for, for both schools. So I'm really excited about it. I mean, to me, it's... It's everything college football is about. Like East Carolina just played NC State, and it was the best crowd in school history. You know, if East Carolina is playing an American Athletic Conference team, you know, even a Houston or a Cincinnati, which has you know competed for a conference championship, college football playoff, you're just not going to get that same feel because you don't have the visiting fans. So like when Houston comes to ECU, when SMU comes to ECU, I mean, they might bring a hundred fans. Uh, you know, when, when NC State came last weekend, there was at least 5,000 fans there. You know, ODU will probably bring a couple thousand, I would think. So it just makes more sense, you know, not only from a financial perspective, but you're right. You know, you have that common connection, you know, more times than not, if you're facing the school within two, three hours, you're going to have friends that went there. You're going to have that built-in talk at work leading into the game. Hey, you know, what do you got, you know, put, maybe put some money on the game, you know, have some fun with it. You know, it just, it just adds so much more to it. Like I personally, I don't know anybody that went to SMU or North Texas or Houston. Like it just makes so much more sense. I know a lot of people that went to ODU or have ties there. So now I'm all for it. I just think it, it, it is, it's common sense, which college football has gotten away from. And that's, what's hurt the sport. And, you know, I'm glad that we can at least still get some of these games. Yeah, I feel the same way. I'd like to see the baseball series expanded. Playing two times a year, one at each place, isn't enough, I don't think. We, we need to be playing a weekend series, especially with where both these programs are right now. They've been great games. Yeah, like the midweek games have been awesome. Yeah, and the crowds show up at both places. On a weeknight, it's hard to do that, but if we get a weekend series against you guys and you guys host us for a weekend – that that would be a ton of fun. Just when the series gets fired up, it ends. Yeah. I know the old one game, a travel series. It just, you know, you're right. Like those have been awesome games. You know, ODU has taken it to ECU pretty good, but like they've all been like 
close, competitive, sometimes extra inning games. ODU's program has really come a long way these last few years. And so, like, for ECU, you know, obviously they, I think they made the schedule two or three years in advance, but, you know, I don't see a reason why ODU would, would regress in the coming years. And so, like, why not do a weekend series? And, it, it, you know, ECU always plays a, a regional team or two. You know, they do have one weekend locked up going forward. They play UNC the second weekend of every season going forward, but they still – they don't play – conference games until like april or late march so there's a, at least from ecu's perspective there should be room to do it there's definitely room on our end and we got a new stadium coming so we'll finally have a great place to host you guys at all right yeah no nah, the more regional teams that are good in baseball the better it is man i think it would be awesome so back to football ecu had a very tough loss on saturday but you guys outplayed a team many think will contend for an acc title this year in pretty much every category with special teams. What was your biggest takeaway from game one? I think the biggest takeaway was the fact that they looked like they belonged on the field with a top 15 team. You know, you know, is NC State really number 13 nationally? I, I don't know, but they're probably a top 25 team at least. I mean, so the fact that ECU looked competitive in every phase except for special teams really, and, and a lot of that was self-inflicted. You know, it, it just – it's everything Mike Houston's built towards. You know, the guy has won everywhere he's been. He's like, if you if you had to create a coach, he would be like the guy you would create. Like, he just – he walks and talks like a football coach. He's built this program from, I mean, God, the depths of hell. When he took it over, it was a joke. Some of the personnel left on the roster. And he's built the offensive and defensive lines in particular, you know, to where you have the depth that a lot of – quote-unquote, power five programs have. You know, maybe not the top-end talent, but you have the depth. So they can finally compete up front. They've got skill talent for the most part. I think, you know, comparable to a lot of good teams. And so they just look like they belong physically, and that was so night and day compared to when he first took the job. His first game ever was against NC State, and they just got crushed up front. And the way he plays offense and defense or wants to play it, you got to be good in the trenches under him. And it's taken three, four years to get there. They're finally there, especially defensively. And I think offensively has come a long way as well. So they look like they belong. And I think they can win a lot of football games, especially if they play defense like they did. All right. So Holt Naylor's is something you don't see every day. True fifth-year quarterback. He spent his entire career playing at ECU. As we look at his stats, the dude, he can clearly beat you through the air. He can beat you on the ground. What does a guy like Holton mean for this pirate program i mean he is he's the heart and soul of it you know he was a big time recruit and he went to dh Conley. he actually went to the same high school i did obviously much younger than me but his decision actually came down to ecu and nc state his dad is the pa announcer for the football games which is pretty cool like so we all kind of figured he would go to ecu but at the last minute you had after he had committed you had florida georgia offer him a scholarship alabama even called the night before signing day they didn't offer but nick saban wanted to talk to him so that was kind of the recruit he was and he was the hometown hero and you know the guy that was supposed to turn around the program when it was really bad under scotty montgomery he went to ecu and there have been so many ups and downs i mean he's been criticized he's been praised and then finally last year, he had the success, you know, the wins to kind of, you know, back up the, the work he's put in. You know, they were close at times in prior years, but finally got the wins they needed. So 
he's just the heart and soul. You know, he's not the prettiest quarterback to watch. You know, he's a lefty. Lefties are always awkward to watch sometimes, especially at quarterback. You know, he's not fast, but he's just – he's tough as nails. Last week he dislocated his shoulder, came out one play, then went right back in the game and said it was popping in and out the rest of the game. Like He's just your prototypical captain quarterback, like kind of that that ideal guy you want leading your program. And I think that his teammates kind of rally around him. So is that shoulder issue a new one for him? And do you think it'll linger as the season goes along? So it's something to watch. I mean, it's his non-throwing shoulder, which I think is – is important and, and the fact that he i think he did it in the end of the first or second quarter and then he played the rest of the game with it so i don't think it'll be and he was still running which obviously is a big part of his game so maybe they discourage him to run a little bit but i think he's gonna i mean he's gonna play either way the guy i mean if he played through it against nc state i was out of practice today he was practicing so i mean he's gonna play through it and uh, you know maybe it causes them to call a few less runs, but I don't think it'll change anything drastically. All right, so Keaton Mitchell and Rajay Harris, pretty nasty one-two punch out of the backfield. Both seem, they, both seem like they can make plays out of the backfield running or catching the ball. Can you tell us a little bit about these guys? Yeah, I mean, Keaton Mitchell is – I don't know if y'all watched the NC State game at all, but he called a, a little dump-off pass late – they got him in man coverage against a linebacker, and he just – I mean, he blew past the guy. He ran through two or three guys. Like, he has got legit 4-3 caliber speed, kind of your prototypical big play guy, 5'9", 185. They they need him get him more touches, honestly, just because he's so explosive. Had the 1,000-yard rushing season last year. He's also been moved to kick return this year. He did okay in the NC State game. There wasn't a ton of blocking for him, so we'll see how that progresses as the season goes along. And then Rajay is the guy who just compliments him. You know, he's kind of the bigger back, 5'10", 210, more physical runner. So it's like your your prototypical thunder-lightning combo. Rajay had the big freshman year. He was co-rookie of the year in 2020. And then Keaton had the 1,000-yard year last year. So, there, you know, there's kind of, I don't want to say pressure, but some expectation of Rajay bouncing back this year. And if they could get both of them really going, I think you could be pretty special in offense. But NC State did a great job shutting them down the opener, and they they do have a top fifteen run defense. So I know ODU's pretty good as well up front. So it'll be interesting to see if they can get their running game going this week. Well, you're right. Old Dominion defense is not the defense that East Carolina fans are used to seeing in the past. The team is definitely taking huge strides forward. I'm the running game is something that super interests me. I mean, you guys just talked about two running backs, and then obviously quarterback was the third leading rusher on the team, I think, all of last year. So the ground is something that you know can be dangerous, that we need to make sure that, that, that we really have buttoned up. What other players on offense present matchup issues that you see ODU having to really key on? You know, the, the big thing with the offense is so different from last year or past ECU teams, they actually have a legitimate threat at tight end. You know, probably not quite to the level ODU does with the guy who caught, what, 70-something passes last year. But, you know, Ryan Jones is a former four-star recruit. He actually played at Oklahoma as a linebacker, came back to his home state of North Carolina, first year playing tight end, had over 400 yards receiving. He's going to be a guy that they target in the passing game. And then he's complimented by Shane Calhoun, who caught a touchdown in the opener. So they have two tight ends they feel like are starting caliber. And then receivers, interesting. You know, they lost their top two receivers. They lost Tyler Sneed, who was their slot guy, who went on to the NFL. 
Um, but they brought in two transfers, Isaiah Winstead and Jalen Johnson. Winstead from Toledo produced everywhere he's been. He was also at Norfolk State earlier in his career. Johnson played at Georgia. He was like a, a backup special teams guy on last year's national championship team. Winstead had a, a really good opener, you know, dropped a couple balls early, then really made some great one-on-one plays. He's like 6'4", 215, huge out wide. And then C.J. Johnson, big-time outside receiver in the past, you know, up and down, off the field. He was actually suspended this offseason, but he came back in the opener, had a huge day working out of the slot, and he's kind of like 6'2", 225. So they've got great size on the perimeter. The issue in the past has honestly been pass pro. They have struggled to pass protect. And honestly, in the opener, they did a really good job in pass pro, but they didn't run block as well. So, again, how was that going to look against ODU, which – you know, has a very good defense in its own right. You know, that's the question I have. It's a question a lot of Pirate fans have because the pieces are there. You know, you've got an experienced offensive line. You know, they added some transfers there. They've got talent at running back, receiver, tight end. It's just a matter of when is it all going to click. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that. It's at uh, 36 sacks last year. Obviously didn't didn't give up any last week. So I didn't know how much of a factor that was with the offensive line just being, you know, that much more stout or was it something else? I think it, you know, personally, I think it is an improvement for the offensive line. Like the offensive line has improved to the point where they're going to be better in pass pro. They, you know, they added an all, all American from the FCS, uh, Justin Red, Norfolk State transfer. He played left tackle last week, you know, did pretty good, you know, all things considered for his first FBS game. And then, you know, Avery Jones, former four-star recruit, North Carolina transfer at center. This is his second year playing center, and I thought he looked a lot more comfortable. You know, they brought in a West Virginia transfer at right tackle. He's actually backing up. They're returning starting right tackle. So, like, they, they've got, again, as much depth on the O-line as they've had in the Mike Houston era. And I think finally, like, they returned three or four starters, added three transfers. So, like, they should be better up front, and I think that showed in the opener. Now they just have to kind of get everything on the same page. But I do think they'll be better. You know, realistically, I still think it's a bit of a question mark, and I think we'll know more after this coming weekend. So anyone who watched the game on Saturday would not be surprised to hear that you guys returned seven of your top ten tacklers from a year ago. Y'all look fast. Y'all look big. You were flying to the ball. It was impressive how – Y'all were slowing down a really good offense, or one that everyone is expecting to be really good. So who on this defense should ODU fans keep an eye out for? You know, it's it's interesting because, like, I feel like, you know, they lost Jaquan McMillan, who was their All-American corner last year, and he was, like, the star of the defense. And even then, they played 19 to 20 guys – like regularly on defense last year. Well, in the opener, they played 23. And they rotate like crazy up front. They rotate at linebacker. They rotate at corner. They rotate at safety. So, like, it's hard to pick out, honestly, like two or three guys because they rotate so much. The, the strength of the defense is, like, basically strength in numbers and how they play. Part of the reason they, like, run to the ball like that is because they keep guys fresh. They're similar to ODU. Like, they're very multiple. They do a ton of blitzing. And just when you think they're going to bring the house, they'll drop eight in the coverage. I mean, they do a ton of, you know, just disguising looks, ton of stunts, 
a ton of pre-snap movement at the last second just before you know you snap the football after the offense audible so a lot of it is to trick the defense or trick the offense get them in a bad play and then adjust so it, it you know that's to me there's a strength you know if you if you want to talk about players you know Malik Fleming at corner had a great opener he's a two-year starter he played across from Jaquan McMillan the last few years and he looked really good he looked like he was ready to take that next step in the opener drew an offensive pass interference and and I think allowed one reception on six targets defensive end or kind of like that stand-up rush outside linebacker position they have a guy named Jeremy Lewis number 11 you know really lengthy speedy pass rusher off the edge ranked near the top of the team in sacks last year and then at safety, they got a couple of new starters, but guys who actually played a lot last year, Tegan Wilk and Julius Wood, in my opinion, who have a chance to be like turnover caliber players to where they like create a lot of turnovers. Tegan Wilk forced four fumbles last year and had a pick in like 215 snaps. And then Julius Wood is just a freak athlete. So like you said, they got speed everywhere. You know, at times they do give up the big play because they're so aggressive, which was the most impressive part of the opener. They actually didn't give up many big plays despite playing that way. So that's something ODU I'm sure we'll try to take advantage of on Saturday. So, Stephen, any nagging injuries that could impact this game? You know, nose tackle Deontay Johnson went out with an injury, I think, in the fourth quarter against NC State. I would not expect him to play this week. They also lost defensive end Josiah Robinson to a season-ending knee injury. He was like their third-string pass rush specialist. They are like 10 deep on the D-line, so I don't think there'll be huge injuries, but you know, that's the that's the the two that stick out. And then, you know, actually their starting defensive tackle, Rick DeBrew, projected starting defensive tackle. He missed the opener and not really injury related, more I guess discipline related. I asked today at the press conference if he'll be, you know, when's he coming back? And Mike Houston basically said, Hey, it's up to him how he practices. So he's a guy who's like a potential you know, game changing talent up front if he plays. I just don't know what his status is right now. But you got some other guys who who have been out since the preseason, but nobody too, you know, that's too big of a deal. So there, this past weekend, we all know the the, the missed kicks and the punt block, and obviously those are all issues related to the special teams coach, and he must have had a nightmarish day and evening, reliving what happened. Are those issues that you think were just kind of an anomaly, or is that something that's going to be a question mark moving forward i mean it's, i think it's a valid question mark because like they just got outplayed in every phase by nc state you know the only thing that really looked good to me was punt return like malik fleming was back there and he he consistently got positive yardage outside of that you know keaton mitchell they didn't block very well for him on kick return you know punt protection when they did protect the punts were short uh, they're, they are breaking in a new full-time punter in Luke Larson. So they can rugby style or a traditional punt, which is good. But if you can't do either one effectively, then I don't know which one you do. Obviously, you want to get get one off and not get it blocked. You know, the, the, the kicking situation is interesting because Owen Daffer last year, all-conference kicker, 19 of 23 on field goals. He did miss two PATs. Uh, one of them he slipped on. But it's not like the guy's a bad kicker. The issue is, as you guys know, I mean, that position is all mental, really. I mean, obviously, there's physical elements, but it's like a you know a, a swing in golf or in baseball. Like Once you get in your own head, that's the worst thing that can happen. So I think we're all interested to see how he responds. Like The first time he trots out there for a kick, even if it's a PAT Saturday, everybody's going to be holding their breath. 
uh, regardless of what they say. You know, they're all like, oh, we believe in him, that sort of stuff. Well, he's still got to go out and make a kick. They do have other capable kickers on the roster, none with game experience, but guys who recruited pretty high. So if he struggles, they could go to them. But outside of that, I mean, I feel like, you know, that's the one area I'll be watching Saturday. And I know going out to practice today, they put a ton of emphasis on special teams today in particular. So they're going to put a ton of work in. We'll just see if it if it pays off. I'll just say this. Last year, we won a bunch of games solely because of our special teams and their impact on the game. And honestly, you could say that about the Virginia Tech game because that scoop and score, if we don't score that as a touchdown, maybe we don't win that game. So yeah. I know – if you guys are shaky, Ricky's going to take advantage of it. Yeah, I mean, and I think that's why they were probably out there today working on it because they know, I mean, you just can't give up touchdowns. You can't give up cheap points. Like, I'm sure Virginia Tech is just looking back at that film sick because of that, you know, botched field goal or whatever. And it's the same way with ECU with the with their special teams miscues. So, and the crazy thing is, I think Mike Houston has emphasized it more than any coach I've been around, and they just – for whatever reason, the last few years, they just haven't been consistent in that phase. By the All way, right. Robert Kennedy, a ECU transfer, was the one who scored on the scoop and score. He had an amazing game. He had a few yeah. other plays that ended up impacting the game big time. I he think was this a, is the he, he was pretty highly, uh, not to cut you off, sorry. They were excited when he committed. He just, for whatever reason, I think, and he was playing a lot his first year here, and then – I think him and the coaches got into it one time, and you know he ended up hitting the portal. So, but he's a quality player, man. He can he's got good speed, cover a lot of ground. So it'll be interesting to see how he plays Saturday. I'm sure he'll be fired up. Hopefully, not too fired up. Right. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about a little bit of fun stuff. We know all about bees, Parkers, and Skylight Inn, but for the ODU fans making the trip there without tailgate plans, where should they go for pregame? Sup dogs. So sup dogs. I mean, sup dogs is like the obvious one. What are they? I think it's three out of four national titles now for Barstool Best Bar. I mean, like that's pretty impressive in itself. So like, I feel like you have to go there just to get a vibe. I'll say this: if you're an ODU fan, go. You know, it'll be it'll be crowded either way, but definitely go for lunch as early as possible to try and beat the crowd. Because if not, you're going to be waiting. So if you can, maybe try and go at 11 a.m. or whatever if, if they're in town at that point. I think tailgate lots open at 12 noon. But, I mean, there's other places. Like if you're into kind of Dominican-style food, Villa Verde is a great spot. They have awesome empanadas and some great foreign food. So definitely try that if you're out on that side of the town that's somewhat near the stadium. So those are just a few places that come to mind. But, it, you know – you can't beat the tailgating if if you're even you know pirate fans I think are hospital enough if you just park and walk around you're going to get some food offered somewhere and with a 6 p.m. game it's going to be a great tailgating scene you know it was good last week for a noon game but ECU fans they live it up in the tailgating lot so definitely check that out and anywhere around the stadium you'll find people tailgating yeah we're gonna have to do that we're we're jumping on a bus to come up there because we're kind of lazy this time so we're not going to have much tailgating gear with us, so hopefully we will find a few hospitable fans. Yeah, I mean, and there's plenty of places downtown. Like, even if Sub Dogs is too crowded, like on that stretch or on a street over, if you go on Dickinson Avenue, there's a couple of breweries 
and like a few taco places where you can sit outside and eat. So there's definitely, you know, definitely stuff to walk to once you park and get downtown. That's within walking distance near the stadium. You know, Chico's is another Mexican restaurant right by the stadium in that downtown area. So there's a lot of good spots in that particular area. So, you know, I guess you just got to get down there, scout it out, see how it is. I, you know, honestly, like, I don't know how it is, like, three hours before kickoff at 3 p.m. for, like, a 6 p.m. game. Like, I don't know if those places are crowded or, or how it is, just because I'm always eating the average press box food. But, you know, it is what it is. And, and for those staying overnight, best place post-game and for hangover breakfast. So – Pitt Streets, a brewing company, is a great is a great place to get a beer. I don't know how late they stay open. On I would assume with a with a night game they would maybe stay open. Uptown Brewing Company is another that that's really good downtown. Breakfast definitely the scullery. It may be crowded, so I guess if you're if you're too hungover, it might be tough to get there early. But try to get there early. But I, you know the scullery is downtown as well. Really good breakfast spot by far my most recommended breakfast. You know, there is a, a, a couple other places if you're looking to drink post-game. Stumpy's is like a, a hatchet-throwing place. So I guess don't drink too much or you might end up killing your friend. Is a Stumpy uh, for what the, the, the hatchets are going into or like the appendage that is missing exactly, because of yeah, the could, axis? <laughs> could be either one. It depends on your interpretation. And uh, there's a place also called Emporium where you can go and and pour your own beer you know like one of those places they got all the taps on the wall uh you grab a glass and pick out what beer you want it charges you by how much you know you end up pouring out obviously so there again that little stretch on dickinson avenue really good spot for you know breweries and and some some nice restaurants and everything side note if you go to this pour your own beer place and you've never been have someone help you because if you don't, you could buy a twenty dollar beer really fast. It's yep. Have a <laughs> have a clue what you're doing, and yeah, you don't want to end up with a, a poor a poor poor either, where you end up with just no good beer and just all the you know the, all the foam. Mike, that sounds like you speak from experience. Well, yeah, it happened to me once and never again. All right, so the last two times that these teams faced off against each other. We had one possession games. They went down to the wire and the refs may or may not have gotten too involved, depending upon who you ask. What are ECU fans expecting this go round? I think most are expecting a tight game. Like I, 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 you know, I personally, when somebody asked, what would I put the line at when they, when, before it was announced, I said ECU by like five, maybe six. So when that thing came out at, I think it's what at 13 right now. I think it opened at 11 and now they're close to 12 and a half, 13. I was surprised at that. I think part of that is Vegas counting on like the ODU. They're in the classic letdown spot coming off a huge win. Now they go on the road, but like ECU's in that same spot. I mean, cause they're coming off an emotional loss, you know, playing at home does give them an advantage as far as the bounce back. But the, the you know, like you said, all three games have been competitive, even dating back to, you know, Taylor Heineke, like I remember he just lit up the ECU secondary. That was a good ECU team. And the last two have been tight. Like I would be surprised if it's one-sided either way. I mean, I, I just feel like it's going to be a, you know, Mike Houston said it best. I think it's going to be a dog fight. ECU doesn't play the style where they necessarily blow teams out unless they just overwhelm you physically, which I don't think is really going to happen to ODU. So 
I think this will be a four quarter game. And unless there's like a defensive touchdown or a special team score, I just don't see it being too, you know, too one sided. Well, our next question was going to mention the line of being between 11 and 13 and a half. And we were going to ask you for your prediction, but you pretty much gave it right there. So I don't want to sound repetitive, but I, I feel like they, I mean, the opening line for Vegas is usually to just influence people to bet. And really the, the way it moves is just to influence more people to bet the other side. So they cover their own tails. Right. I was shocked it went from 11 to 13 and a half. I thought it was going to move the other way as well. Yeah. I imagine it will now that it went up so quickly, but we got a few days to find out. Yeah. I just don't see it getting any higher than, I mean, I don't see how you can, I certainly would not lay 13 and a half on ECU. I mean, like I've, first of all, I would never bet on ECU period because I've seen too many ECU sporting events. But secondly, like the ODU is a quality team. What is it now? Six of their last seven have been victories. You know, you know, I just think the way they played against Virginia Tech, if ECU doesn't execute at a high level, they're they're very easily and prone to being beaten on Saturday. So I think, you know, if I had to make a prediction, I would say ECU maybe by a touchdown, but like I'm not certainly not picking ECU to win by thirteen or fourteen. There's no way. Yeah, so I mean I love our defense, but that Game one to game two is where you see that biggest jump you're going to see. And so I'm expecting a lot better game from our offense. Anyone expecting Hayden to have that bad of a game again, probably going to end up looking like a fool. Obviously, he needs to play better, and the offensive line needs to block better. But, yeah, I see this as a pretty close game, and we'll see We'll see how it ends up. I'm excited. Can't wait to get down there. Yeah, I think it'll be a fun atmosphere. Night games and Daddy Fickin are always fun. And you know, how, you know, before we let you, or before you guys let me go, I should say, how many fans do you think ODU is bringing? Do you think it, you guys will bring a couple thousand? I mean, we usually bring about twenty five hundred or three thousand around there. But I think the first time we went down there was probably our best. But that was because it was our first FBS game. So I'd say probably between two and three thousand. Yeah, I wouldn't be I'd surprised. Hope we could do that. I wouldn't be surprised if we're on the higher side there, the three thousand. Coming off a big win against Virginia Tech, people are excited. It's an easy drive. There's plenty of tickets available on StubHub. Good tickets available, and, uh, and I know the first two buses are either sold out or close to it, and those are double deckers, so that's a good crowd right there, just with the buses. Yeah, I'd say three, three thousand, maybe thirty five hundred. Basic, you know, the people I'm talking to that are saying they're going down. So, hopefully, they actually make some noise. They're not our quiet fans, and they're the loud ones. Yeah, every fan base has the the ones that sit on their hands. And I think an EC representative said today on the radio that they're expecting a crowd of forty thousand or so. So it should be a good atmosphere. You know, that should be most of the basically the entire lower bowl. The students will show up for the first half. They'll leave at halftime like they always do. So the boneyard will be half full for the third and fourth quarters because they got to go get drunk downtown instead of in the stadium. But but no, it should be fun, man. Dowdy Ficklin after dark is always a good time. Well, hopefully we can keep it close into the second half and things clear out and gets a little bit more quiet. Hey, <laughs> I promise you, hey, take a picture of the boneyard at the beginning of the game and compare it to the fourth quarter. You'll be amazed. Well, I get that for the 6 p.m. start here because, you know, people will be looking forward to 
getting out. Um, I'll say we've had that problem since we started football. Luckily, this past Friday, they didn't leave. Like, that's one of the few games I can remember where they stayed. Like, all of them stayed. Right. So, yeah, it, it was awesome. It was it was great to see our student section like that, and hopefully that will continue throughout the season. They were, they were loud. They were don't engaged. Let any, they were don't there. let any ODU fan lie to you and say that's every game. There's a lot of them. They're not there at all. So, I had a few in my section that were leaving. We we're down by a couple points with you know seven minutes and then three minutes left, and you don't leave. That's when you miss great comebacks. What was the deal with the guy that was it a student that got ran over by a Virginia Tech player? Have they? Has there been like any like statement on that? Well, the the player issued an apology. Okay, he said he was just trying to get to the locker room. Yeah. Okay. That's why he lowered his shoulder, I guess. Yeah, there's no yeah. love lost between East Carolina and Virginia Tech these days. So the Pirate Nation was very happy to see the Monarchs pull that one out. Yeah, we knew you all had that little scheduling snafu the with the hurricane and everything. But you know what? It worked out in Old Dominion's favor. We're we're very thankful for the Hokies again. Hey, keep beating them because I'm enjoying it. Well. We already got their fans saying, we're going to cancel this one, too. <laughs> just so, like basketball. Yeah, sooner, sooner or later, they'll just be playing themselves in non-conference play. And they'll finally be happy. All right, well, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Hope you have a great day Saturday that's ruined by an OG victory. But, boy, we really appreciate you coming on. And, Stephen, before we close out, man, where can people find all your stuff? Yeah, so check us out, hoistthecolors.net, or just Google ECU 24-7 Sports. It'll bring up the Hoist the Colors website. On Twitter, we're at HTC247. And then my Twitter is at Steven with a P-H. I go, I-G-O-E is the spelling of the last name. And so, yeah, now we'll have a ton of ODU content as far as the game, leading into the game. We talked to the coordinators tomorrow, so looking forward to talking to them about, you know, specific guys they're targeting, challenging. We'll have all that coverage up leading into Saturday at 6 p.m. Looking forward to it, guys. Can't wait. Absolutely. Appreciate you. Thanks for coming on, Steven. Absolutely. Thank you guys for having me. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs. Go Monarchs.